This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, um, first, you know, I think it's important before we get to the show today that we tip our hats and offer our condolences to the family of Edwin Lee, uh, who passed away suddenly and tragically this week. Uh, Ed Lee, uh, mayor of San Francisco. I mean, we, you and I knew, you know, Mayor Lee well. You worked very closely with him in, in your capacity on uh, multiple commissions, Human Rights Commission, uh, Immigrant Rights Commission. Obviously, I had lots of contact with Mayor Lee in the work that uh, I did at City Hall. So, um, you know, it's it's a shock, and he has left quite a legacy. You're right. I first met Ed Lee maybe about uh, 12, 13 years ago when I was uh, a commissioner right. at the Immigrant Rights Commission, and then later on I became the chair of the Immigrant Rights Commission, and Ed Lee was the city administrator. Right. And we used to meet in his office, in the conference room next to his office. And and this is before he was mayor. And I can tell you, uh, he was instrumental uh, in supporting the, uh, the mission of the Immigrant Rights Commission. Instrumental in supporting later on when I became on the Human Rights Commission. This is where he actually started his, in, in his a way, career. his career. Yeah, his that's right. Career. But he was very instrumental there. And he was... One city official, and again, this is before he became mayor, whenever we had hearings, he was the first person to arrive to those hearings and made himself available to answer uh, the uh, questions uh, from the public. Right. And whether or not, I mean, you know, he later on in his career, you know, became a little controversial because of, you know, some of his uh, fiscal you know, uh, policies in terms of giving tax breaks to Silicon Valley firms, which really, you know, increased the tax base for the city. Rents went up and all that. But be that as it may, um, no one could doubt Ed Lee's commitment to immigrant rights, human rights, and to really, you know, have his heart in and really the and caring about people in San Francisco and the greater Bay Area. I mean, Irrespective of whatever political difference you may have with uh, with him, he was a decent guy. He worked very, very hard. And I'll tell you, I don't know many people, frankly, who can do the job as well as he, he did. Well, may he rest in peace and our, again, deepest condolences to his family and to really, really to the Entire city of San Francisco. Absolutely. A big loss. Big loss. Speaking of big losses, Jamal, uh, there was quite a big loss this week in Alabama. And we, we are now in, you know, on the verge of a civil war. If not, it's happened already with the Republican Party. You, you had a candidate who has been charged multiple independent times with basically pedophilia and sexual abuse and harassment of children, 
who was being supported by the President of the United States. Not just once, not just twice, three times, double down. Donald Trump doubled down on Roy Moore. I call Roy Moore, Jamal, the Sharia candidate. As you know, and we've talked about this, he was the Supreme Court justice in Alabama, the Alabama State you know, Supreme Court justice, and was kicked off twice because he refused to follow the Constitution of the United States because he believed that the Bible in the United States was the supreme law of the land. I mean, and that's not even the worst part about this guy. We'll, we'll, we'll get to some of these other things. But we are, we are living in a society when a uh, basically a, a, a sexual predator and someone committed to the abuse of children, sexual abuse of children, could be celebrated by the president of the United States and, and by large numbers of people, you know, 90% of Republicans, even though Roy Moore lost Jamal, 91% of Republicans voted, Alabamians, mm-hmm. voted for Roy Moore, even though he lost. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing statistic. You're right. Uh, of course, everyone knows about, or at least on the national arena, and maybe even the international arena, he became infamous or whatever however, however infamous right. because <laughs> of the uh, accusations and justifiably so of uh, him being a sexual predator and a pedophile but before that and this is yeah uh, this is what really irritates me about the media when they discuss his persona this guy is an islamophobe he's a big big islamophobe so let's just say he's a, he's a homophobe. Yes, he's a racist. Yes, and those are his good qualities. And these are his good qualities. <laughs> Way before the scandal, right, uh, about pedophilia, came into prominence, right, in, in, into the news. That's right. That the fact of the matter, and you said something very important, and I should actually update, you know, our listeners because while the final results just in Tuesday's upset victory for the Democratic candidate, of course, who won, uh, uh, Doug Jones. Uh, we won't know for uh, the final numbers, supposedly, for, for weeks, and the unofficial results for f- from the race show that write-in votes may have played a crucial vote in determining the outcome of the race. That's interesting. And so, uh, so now the unofficial results from the Alabama Secretary of State show Jones and Republican candidate Roy Moore separated by 20,715 votes and that 22,780 people wrote in a candidate making up roughly 1.7% wow. of the vote. So th- this, is, this is, and that's why you, you keep hearing because uh, Roy Jones uh, hasn't conceded yet. Roy he, Moore. He, Roy, Moore. Sorry, Roy Moore, Moore hasn't conceded. He's no, waiting. he hasn't conceded. He is waiting for the final count uh, to come through, but uh, still indicators show that he is not going to win. Nevertheless, six more hun- uh, more than six hundred fifty thousand people voted for him. That's my point, and, and that's and you know because at the end of the day, the result is going to be. 
51% to 49% or something close to, to this or separated right. by 20,000 votes. Still in Alabama, in the 21st century, people, 650, half the population or half the voters, voted for an Islamophobe, someone who's against immigrants, someone who is a homophobe, someone who is against African-Americans. Against the Constitution. Someone who wants to take the Old Testament to replace the Constitution <laughs> in his court. That's no, why but Jamal, he, he this was— is, But this is a guy who said that the best time in America was during slavery. He, he actually said that, that it, the good old days, that that was when we, meaning the United States, was at its best, was during slave times. I mean— this is, this is an individual who said that a Muslim could not, be, could not serve in the Congress or the Senate because he believed, incorrectly obviously, that in order to be sworn into, the, uh, into your position, you had to put your hand on a Bible. I mean, that, that's the kind of outrageous ignorance that uh, Roy Moore was perpetrating as part of his campaign. And now he hasn't conceded. He is on a national speaking tour saying that basically that the United States is, you know, conspired. I mean, the forces of evil, which he, he believes, are cons have conspired against him. And that, you know, he's on God's mission. This is where we're at. Did, did you listen to his wife? Uh, oh. press conference. Let's, let's look for that sound by just... Are you sure you want to play that, <laughs> Because I think... Uh, it's pretty disturbing. It's very telling. I mean, uh, for me... Fake news would tell you that we don't care for Jews. And I tell you all this because I've seen it all, so I just want to set the record straight while they're here. One of our attorneys is a Jew. <laughs> I am. I mean, I'm speechless, Jamal. I mean, this I'm speechless. is this is really like sometimes I listen to these people. I mean, uh, Roy Moore and and his ilk, and of course in this case his wife. They're oblivious. I think like sometimes. They don't know when they're being racist. Absolutely. They don't know when they're being anti-Semitic or hateful. Yeah. I mean, this is like somebody say, well, I have a black friend. Right. You know? How can I be racist? How can I be racist? I have a Muslim friend. How can I be an Islamophobe? You know, yeah. Oh, by the way, we have a black man working in our garden. So, you know, I, right. mean, I mean, they might as well say that we used to own slaves. Well, that's essentially what she's saying. And, and this is on national TV. This is the wife. Oh, one of our, very one of our attorneys is a Jew. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the mentality of the people in Alabama that we, are, that we are dealing with. Okay, but let's, let's turn it upside down, okay? Because on the one hand, we're saying, hey, Alabama, what in the world is going on in your state? But on the other hand, we have to say thank you, Alabama, because typically for a special election like this, you have less than 20 
percent, sometimes less than 15 percent of the African-American vote and community coming out to vote. So the percentage of African-Americans who came out and voted for Doug Jones was they, they basically got 30 percent of the African-American community to vote in Alabama. So thank you, Alabama. You finally had people who were Democrats who in Alabama historically just didn't vote because, you know, the last time the, there was a Senate uh, Senate uh, race, Jeff Sessions was running for the uh, Senate. Right. Do you know his who his opponent was? Who? Nobody. The Democrat against himself. Yeah. He, I mean, the Democrats had given up. So there's a very important lesson here in terms of like thinking about how deeply red, crimson red Alabama is. So the fact that a Doug Jones could win and the fact that, you know, something prevailed to not allow this this really kind of hateful uh, kind of, uh, what, what do we say, hateful Islamophobe, racist individual become a member of the Senate, we have to say thank you, Alabama. You know, because, you know, they did, they did come out. I well, mean, that, that's well, the good news. Well, you said something very important, and, and the very important thing is the African-American vote. But you forgot to say, actually, it's the African-American woman right. vote who elected that's right. basically Doug Jones. That's right. 98% of African-American women who voted in the state's special Senate election cast their vote for Doug Jones. Well, that means 2% in, in, in Alabama. For yeah, well, or maybe they, they voted or, or, for somebody else or, or didn't write vote in, yeah. or write in. But that's the big story. Yeah, it is. And that's why when I started talking about, we, we put the show from, Alabama, from to Alabama. Alabama to Jerusalem to see whether, you know, I mean, this is something, a big win for social justice when people see the right path when people go out and vote. And, and in, in this case, this is what made it. Yeah, this and, was the, dis, the, and, the decising, and you're, you're, decisive vote. No, you're absolutely right. And what makes it even more amazing, Jamal, is that if you look at all the states where there is voter suppression of communities of color and voter suppression of African Americans, Alabama is still at the top, top five states where they're still pretty outrageous voter suppression efforts against the African-American community. So, you know, the fact that the election turned out the way it did is, 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 is a heroic kind of effort by African-American women and African-American community members who, who withstood uh, tremendous obstacles, you know, in their way in this state to come forward and uh, say no to hatred, say no to divisiveness, say no to uh, racism. You know, it's a, it's, you know, it's one of those things, Jamal. It's like good news, bad news. It is, and like I, again, I want to re-emphasize really the African American woman, because what Tuesday showed us is that progressive candidates and movements cannot win without black women as. As you know, we firmly reject racism, sexism, etc. I mean, this is really important. That's the lesson, actually, that was missing. 
right. from Hillary Clinton's campaign. Well, there's and, a lot of and, things. And, 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 well, Hillary many things. <laughs> but that's how Barack Obama also won. Not only, I mean, the progressives, I'm talking about the minorities, African-Americans, Latinos, uh, Asians, uh, Muslims in this country, the forgotten block of voters. Right. And in this case, it was the difference, all, all the difference. Absolutely. So I want to ask you, I mean, what can we learn as far as, you know, from this lesson as, as far as really like justice being served? Well, I think there's a, I think there's a bunch of lessons here. I think um, the biggest lesson that I took from this was you can't win uh, a race unless you field a candidate. And for so many years in Alabama and, and other southern red states, the Dem- the Democrats and progressive elements have never even fielded uh, candidates. So if you don't field a candidate, you can't win. Second, without a coalition of an engagement with African Americans, Latinos, disenfranchised communities, LGBTQ communities, you know, Muslim communities, you know, unless you, you know, get feet on the ground, as we say, boots on the ground in terms of campaigning and engaging with communities, you'll, you'll never win a successful campaign. And that's not just in the South. I will say that's, that's everywhere. And that's one of the reasons I believe, Jamal, among many, that Hillary Clinton lost the race. I mean, her ground campaign was terrible. She didn't engage with a lot of communities. They thought that they would just win on the name alone. And, you know, I'm still not sure the Democrats have learned their lesson yet, but whatever they did in Alabama, I really think serves as a blueprint for how campaigns can be run going forward. I mean, I I really have to tip my hat to the, to the people of Alabama who for so many decades, if they had progressive feelings or progressive ideas, they just felt that it never made a difference because, you know, the, basically the, the, the kind of white supremacists ran the table always. So I think it's a big deal. There are a lot of good lessons that I think that, you know, progressive candidates can learn from this. You're right. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. 89.5 FM. Also, we welcome our viewers on Facebook Live. Yeah, Facebook Live. Hey, uh, greetings to our Facebook Live uh, viewers and listeners. Send us your comments. I do also want to, I think we need to talk about, um, you know, how this is all playing out in terms of the national scene because, you know, because that strat, the, the Bannon-Trump strategy of thinking that you can win elections based on hatred and Islamophobia and racism and appealing to basically 30 to 35 percent of the electorate is going to get you these, these wins. That strategy seems to have failed miserably in, as I said, the deepest red of the red states is Alabama. And um, that strategy um, really, you know, failed. What what is Steve Bannon going to do, Jamal? He's doubled down. Mm-hmm. He says we're going to use this strategy, and they're going to march. You know, they want to march and and clean house. You know, in the Senate, and uh, you know, in the Congress, in the in the House, in the Senate. So this is not going to deter them. I mean, I think we're still going to be on this path where 
the the Roy Moores of the world are going to be coming out of the coming out of the woodwork and are going to be running these campaigns. And the Republicans aren't going to learn anything from this, Jamal. Obviously, they're going to go through the same you know same pains that they went through with Roy Moore. I think the Republicans, by the way, are the happiest at the election outcome. Yeah, in a way, they're happy because they don't have to. They didn't want to deal with him when he, if he made it to the to the Senate. I'm going to switch gears here yeah. because we're talking about Jerusalem and uh, the decision uh, of uh, Donald Trump, the U.S. president, to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Uh, we, we, I spoke about this a little bit last week, and of course, this well, there's has, a lot to has say generated about this. a series of reactions in Palestine and around the world. And I want to go through some of the reactions, and then we talk about it. Uh, here are the latest developments. Yeah, what are the developments? Both on the diplomatic and street front, uh, as of uh, as of today. So the latest, and is now we have uh, we've had uh, a meeting in Morocco. Arab MPs they've met in Morocco. Heads of Arab parliaments convened on Thursday in Morocco to coordinate their action uh, following, uh, you know, their action following Trump's Jerusalem decision. Uh, also, uh, the, um, oh, I see. The, co- the conference for uh, Islamic. Organization or of Islamic countries, uh, yeah, exactly. OIC in English. And uh, they... Uh, well, they're recognized. Weak. It's weak. They recognize this is, I'm just summarizing their statement, which is the most ridiculous statement uh, that I've ever heard of, is uh, recognizing East Jerusalem as the capital of Palestine. It I mean, it took this, number one, it took them this many years to even talk about Jerusalem and recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Palestine, but now they recognize, they decided to recognize East Jerusalem. I'm a Jerusalemite. I don't know East or West Jerusalem. There is Jerusalem. Jerusalem, period. East, West, North, South. South there is There is Jerusalem. My family comes from East and West, North and South. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're spread all over the place. Right. So, you know, I think this, 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 uh, this uh, statement is really even worse. I agree. Than a Trump statement. Because basically now... They have conceded more than half of Jerusalem immediately with right. that statement by, right. by dividing it. So, so a lot of things uh, have been happening. And, of course, the most important thing, and I've made a call uh, last week to our listeners and to Palestinians, to Jerusalemites, etc., who are on the ground, uh, which I've said and I repeat this, uh, that they have every reason to be angry, very, very angry, as everyone is. But I really don't think at this time that Palestinians should set, shed one drop of their blood. I agree. Because at the end of the day— Especially people in Jerusalem living uh, in Jerusalem. At the end of the day, yeah. and we've see, we have been seeing this happening, you know, you're going to get a 14-year-old young kid, boy or girl— or 16-year-old, getting killed at an Israeli checkpoint, getting shot, getting maimed, getting crippled for life. And you have 1.8 billion Muslims sitting watching their TV screens. Right. You have 300 million-plus Arabs. You know, they call Jerusalem as the third holiest place after Mecca, uh, 
all these slogans, all this talk really has gotten us to where we are at now. And I, the last thing I want to hear is these bunch of clowns meeting and making a statement like this. Absolutely. Recognizing Jeru- East Jerusalem. I, I agree. So it's really the worst thing that you could... Is this the best thing I actually I was going to say? Is this the best thing they could come up with? Well, you know, Jamal, I think your point is spot on. I mean, you know, th- what they are trying to do, I think, by issuing that statement, it is they reveal their true intentions by by that kind of statement, right? Because we know that behind the scenes, Saudi Arabia and Israel are cooperating on all of these different fronts. We're going to get to that a little bit later. The Bahrainis and the Israelis, ah, I, we'll get to that. Yes, yes. The Bahrainis and the Israelis are now like in a love fest with each other. There's all this behind and now not behind the scenes negotiations and coordination, not just with the Israelis, but also with, with Donald Trump and Jared Kushner. So the statement comes across as not just weak, Jamal, saying that we recognize East Jerusalem as the as the capital of Palestine. It comes across actually as damaging to the idea of justice being duly served on the problem of Palestine and Palestinians who are just seeking to to have um, you know justice uh, do them from from you know before 1948 on. So. In, in thinking that they could actually be helpful by the statement, they've actually set the whole cause back. It reveals, as I said, their true intentions, mm-hmm. their motivation. And, and when you look at what's happening with the security cooperations and the backdoor dealings, we have to realize that a lot of these countries, Jamal, they, they don't care about Jerusalem or Palestine. Nope. I, I mean, I don't like to say that it's the truth but it is the truth but you've just made my blood boil <laughs> which one on Bahrain <laughs> yeah because you just reminded me because I was actually angry uh, uh, you know about the statement from these uh, uh, the conference the statement that was made recognizing East Jerusalem as the future capital of Palestine but something else actually all this week was egregious you know, terrible. Uh, you know, you have these clowns from Bahrain, and I have a lot of respect. This has by no means is a reflection on the people of Bahrain right. who support the Palestinian struggle for years. I have friends from Bahrain, and many of them put, uh, posted on their Facebook or on, in social media, they're disowning these clowns. And Palestinians, uh, just to update our listeners, they have refused this delegation, this Bahraini delegation who I describe as house Arabs <laughs> that's from too kind entering the uh, Al-Aqsa? Al-Aqsa the grounds from also going into Gaza you know because they also wanted to go to to Gaza it's it's called the interface this is Bahrain this is this is this is a civil society by the way who brought them there 25 member group which is on a five-day tour basically to meet with Christians and Muslims and and whatever in in Jews in in, in Jews in Jerusalem, it, it, it says uh, they say they they aim to visit Islamic, Christian, Jewish, and other holy sites. The group said in a statement carried on Bahrain's state news. I'm reading from the state news, and so these clowns 
I mean, in, in the midst of everything, they go on a what I call a Hasbara, Israeli Hasbara <laughs> tour. You know, you expect that. I mean, we've seen a lot of Americans, senators, congressmen, politicians. They do this, but I wasn't expecting the Bahrainis to be part of this. Well, yeah, n- not only the Bahrainis are doing this Hasbara tour, Jamal, but Bahrain and Israel are starting negotiations for formal, not behind-the-scenes trade agreements, but they're actually starting to talk about establishing formal, diplomatic, economic, and trade relationship at a time when uh, Gaza is under siege, at a time when the West Bank is being squeezed, at a time when Palestinians who are living in 1948 are being denied their civil rights. I mean, what is in the mind of the Bahraini monarchy, Jamal, that actually has them thinking that negotiating and establishing diplomatic and economic ties with the Israelis is going to change things? Yeah, which, which is uh, ludicrous as Israel was dropping, dropping literally bombs on, on Gaza, Gaza right. and Palestinians were protesting in the streets and getting shot uh, by rubber bullets and real live ammo and uh, tear gas canisters. King Hamad of Bahrain, because you've said it, is the one who approved this trip, sends this, these clowns, these clowns of a delegation to convey messages of peace to Israel. This is, this is really the message. And the Israeli media has been exploiting them. Of course. To the up team. Of course. They're exploiting course. them. They're parading them, taking them to the Knesset, taking them to meet with this Israeli politician and that Israeli politician. But I'm so proud of my people, the Jerusalemites, Palestinians, not a single one no. accepted to meet with them. Well, didn't they throw shoes at them? They threw shoes at them <laughs> when they went near the uh, Dome of the Rock. They refused to meet with them. Uh, I don't think they have been admitted to the, and they've been sent also a strong message by the Christian uh, churches and yeah. communities, which will actually, this is the other thing also leading us to the discussion of uh, Mike Pence canceled or postponed trip to yeah. meet with the Christian community in the Middle East. Yes, we're going to get to that. We're going to take uh, a short musical break, Jamal, because we're listening, uh, you're all listening to KPOO in San Francisco at 89.5 FM. And we're just going to take a short musical break and we're going to come right back and talk about our show today, which is From Alabama to Jerusalem. Stay tuned. This is Arab Talk. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Arab Talk on KPOO. We're at 89.5 FM. We're broadcasting live from San Francisco. You can listen to us on the, on the internet at kpoo.com. You can listen, watch, and comment live on Facebook Live, which is Jamal Dajani 2, J-A-M-A-L-D-A-J-A-N-I 2, Arab Talk. That's right. And so we were uh, talking earlier just... Uh, uh, U.S. Vice President Mike Pence 
will delay. This is a new announcement. Well, an upcoming trip to the Middle East. He was supposed to go by to a few Palestine. days. Yeah. And they're using the excuse uh, saying that this is in case a tie-breaking vote is needed for him for tax cut legislation in Congress. Well, that's bogus. But uh, the trip was supposed to happen, and I, and I think even that vote is not going to happen for days. That's right. So it's not going to happen within the next couple of days. Not till next week. So he had a trip planned, and the trip first, I think he was supposed to go and set to address the Knesset and meet with Benjamin Netanyahu and 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 and, and visit Yad Vashem and the Western Wall. Then go to Ramallah and meet with Mahmoud Abbas. But now Mahmoud Abbas uh, said that, or actually the Palestinians, not just Mahmoud Abbas, they won't meet with him. He was also supposed to go to Egypt and meet, he, he wants to meet with all the Christians <laughs> in the Middle East and the largest Christian community in the Middle East, the Coptic, Coptic community, community is huge. Yeah. They are refusing to meet with him. All right. So they've sent already a message ahead of time saying, we want to meet with you after, of course, uh, uh, his president, uh, Donald Trump, made that declaration. And uh, he was supposed to meet with the Maronite church, other, but there is a st strong statement coming out of uh, the churches in Jerusalem, basically the sepulchre, which houses the Greek Orthodox, Catholic, etc. They don't want to meet with him. Basically, Jamal, nobody wants to meet with Mike Pence. Nobody wants to meet with representatives of the U.S. government who have taken the step to... Um, basically give away something uh, that is not theirs. And, you know, the title of our show, Jamal, is From Alabama to Jerusalem. I just want to point out that the connection between Alabama, Roy Moore, and Israeli politics is not that different. It's not. It's basically the same uh, homophobic, it's the same racist, it's certainly the same, you know, Islamophobic uh, kind of approach and racist approach that you see in Alabama, you see in Israeli politics. It's, it's not any different. It's not. And so when we say that we're going to be talking about from Alabama to Jerusalem, what we're really trying to say is that this attempt to, you know, believe in a superior kind of people— over other people, this kind of supremacy idea runs rampant, not just with Alabamians like Roy Moore, but this is the way Israeli society is structured, Jamal. Yes, and this is where they draw their support from. Exactly. You know, the biggest supporters, supporters for Israel uh, outside the uh, Jewish community uh, in the United States. Might, it might be Alabama, actually. <laughs> and, and it's larger than actually that is comes from the... Evangelicals. The evangelical Christians, yeah. uh, also known as Zionist Christians. Right. And, and, and they have this uh, absurd way of thinking. It's not because they love Israel. They don't. It's not because they love Judaism. They don't. Uh, it's, it's to hasten the return of Jesus to hasten the rupture. They want to destroy, they want to see the world destroyed, right. basically. Right. And that's why they want to support Israel. 
and that's why whatever in their in their mind uh, why they want to see that yeah and it's kind of interesting to see that israelis are so willing to accept a group of people that basically not only fundamentally disrespects their faith but during the second coming if they if these uh, if they don't convert to Christianity, they're going to fry. They'll be doomed. They'll be doomed in hell. That, They'll that's, fry. That's basically their thing. So anyway, Vice Perens, he also was uh, uh, the former Indiana governor, and he was set to visit Bethlehem and meet with Palestinian. I, I said Ramallah earlier, but he was supposed to meet him in, in Bethlehem to meet with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. And then they said, sorry, uh, uh, actually, uh, a senior member of Abbas's Fatah party said last week that he was not welcome in Palestine. So this was the response from uh, the office of uh, Mike Pence. And I'm quoting here. And he said, it's unfortunate that the Palestinian Authority is walking away again, walking <laughs> away again, like I don't know how many times, from an opportunity to discuss the future of the region and peace. This is a statement by Jared Agen, Pence's deputy chief of staff. It sounds like it was written by APEC, though. Yeah, it's, it's, it is actually, yeah. they basically always say that Palestinians don't want peace, and they... Miss opportunities. Quoting about a ban. Yeah. Uh, you know, they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And and so always shifted to say, yeah, you know, Palestinians don't want peace. Well, this, as I said, this, this, exact, this sounds exactly as if AIPAC wrote the statement for the vice president. What the vice president doesn't understand, who we know is an evangelical Christian. He, he believes in this kind of ideology of the return of Jesus Christ, the rapture, and you know, supporting Israel will help facilitate that. I mean, he's a he's a firm believer, but at the same time, we have to see how this is going to have very significant geopolitical consequences, Jamal. Because as Donald Trump and Jared Kushner are wreaking and wrecking havoc on the Arab world, Middle East and Muslim countries all over the world, there is this political, economic, and military vacuum that is being created. And guess who's stepping up to the plate to fill that diplomatic and economic vacuum? It's, it's Russia. That's right. And Vlad, Vladimir Putin has been going to meetings, meeting with Arab leaders, meeting with you know people. And I'm telling you that the short-term short-sightedness of the of the Kushner Trump idea, whatever they're doing to kind of destabilize the region, which I do believe is their plan, is going to shake up the politics in such a way that we're going to see alliances there that we haven't seen probably in 40 or 50 years with, you know, Russia now stepping up. Turkey is now stepping up. Turkey used to be a big ally of the United States. Guess what? They're 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 aligning themselves, you know, clearly on the side of, of Palestine. They're lining themselves up clearly on the side with, with Russia. So really, what they're trying to do is destabilize the whole region again, Jamal. And um, I would say to Jared Kushner and Donald Trump, you know, be careful what you wish for, man, because you're 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 destabilizing the region in such a way that you know things could happen that could be 
as you and I like to say, unintended consequences that may not be in your best interest. You're absolutely right. This is going to all backfire as we're seeing on the ground. We're seeing what's happening now. I think this could lead, and we'll talk about this later on, but I, I, I think this might lead to another intifada. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Do you really you think it, that's it, a possibility? It could. It could it, it, there are indications that this might head that way, and that's why Israel has been cracking uh, very hard on the protesters, uh, arresting children, beating them up. I saw some uh, recently some uh, footage of them using, you know, how they disguise themselves, uh, dressed as like uh, as Palestinians, right. and and arrest the uh, you know the demonstrators. But another interesting development just is uh, uh, Israel's intelligence minister, Israel Katz, has invited Saudi Arabia's crown prince to visit Israel recently wow. in an interview with a Saudi news outlet. Wait uh, a minute. He, a Saudi state-run news outlet yes. interviewed the head of security and intelligence for Israel. Yes, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's funded by Saudi Arabia. Katz uh, confirmed uh, recently uh, that he extended the invitation to Mohammed bin Salman on Wednesday, last, you know, in the interview with the UK-based independent, they call themselves UK-based independent news website, Aleph, or Aleph, but that's actually Saudi funded. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he described Katz, described Saudi Arabia as the leader of the Arab world. So he's giving <laughs> them, they can basically sign off on anything that happens in the entire Arab world. And, uh, and recommended that peace negotiations between the Palestinians and Israel happen under the kingdom's auspices. Which means the Palestinians are in trouble if it happens under the king's auspices. Yes. I mean, nothing could be more. I mean, this is something you and I have been talking about for a long time, that the, the kind of behind back scenes negotiations between the Israelis and the Saudis has been going on for a long time. But because they both cease, are so venomously hateful of Iran and Iran's sphere of influence in Iraq and in Syria and in Lebanon, the Israelis and the Saudis are willing to be in bed together at this point. It it's, it's really has the potential not just to destabilize, but to rework the entire politi political and economic structures of the entire region. Well, it's also been, uh, by the way, this is confirmed, and this was reported on Reuters, that Mohammed bin Salman is, has been acting on behalf of Jared Kushner, the, uh, the you know... Senior advisor to the Trump administration, yeah, right? And he, he was the one uh, acting on behalf of Jared Kushner. He's the one who presented Mahmoud Abbas with the American plan or with Trump's plan for the Middle peace, East, yes. peace in the Middle East. Right. So, so, so uh, you know, before these things used to happen behind closed doors, and they were all, this is all overtly now saying, you know, this is, and it's, 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 it's a no coincidence that Jared Kushner was in Saudi Arabia, Two weeks before. Two weeks before. He arrested all the before princes. Before he arrested all the princes. Also before, not too long before, 
Trump makes this crazy announcement about recognizing Israel as the capital, I mean, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, it means that he had received the green light, don't worry, and, and they were assured. That's why, in a way, that's right. they were told, you know, not, not, people will complain, nothing will happen. That's exactly what they told Kushner, Jamal. That's the message. That's exactly. Don't, don't, don't worry. worry. We got your back. We got your back. We are uh, one of the biggest donors, actually the biggest Arab donor to the Palestinian Authority and to Mahmoud Abbas. He's not going to say no. Well. He has no other alternative. And they've green-lighted the announcement. Uh, very disturbing. And I, as I said, I'm trying to look at the big picture, Jamal, because in terms of how this could backfire on the Saudi-Israeli alliance, because one of the things that is happening at this time, and I'm, I'm, our, our Facebook Live viewers maybe could see the air quotes, the, the announcement of the defeat of ISIS also occurred within this last week. And what you're seeing, if you're, and not many people know this, but part of the reason that um, they can make that announcement is by, literally by the influence of Iran and Iranian-backed fighters in Iraq and in Syria that were really the, the strongest forces. It really wasn't U.S. forces that did the bulk of this. I mean, the bulk of the really heavy lifting and fighting were really Iranian-supported forces. Well, of course, Trump took the credit. He said, we're, of, defeat, of we're defeating right. ISIS. But the reality is it, it's really these forces. And now you do have an, an Iranian sphere of influence that is quite tight, that is quite strong, that goes from Iran, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. And, you know, I, I, if, if I were the uh, Saudis and I was hitching my wagon to, to the Israelis, I, I would say to my friends in Saudi Arabia, be careful for what you wish for because this has the potential to backfire on you in ways that are going to be really devastating, not just to you, but to the entire region. You're absolutely right. And they basically, I mean, they should take a, a chapter or two <laughs> well, from what happened to many Arab leaders from Saddam Hussein. To Anwar Sadat. Well, I mean, Saddam Hussein was the darling of the United States. For many years. When, for, when he fought a right. proxy war for 10 years. Right. Uh, you know, against Iran, right? And and uh, Donald Rumsfeld at the time used to always go in and out of Baghdad. He's the one also that uh, supplied the Iraqis with the uh, helicopters that right uh, that killed Iranians. That no, right. no, that delivered actually the so-called mustard gas uh, uh, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Kurds and so forth. And then they've quickly s sold him down the river and f ended up basically uh, hanging him. And uh, of course. Uh, look what happened to Gaddafi and, and so forth. You can have example after the other. But sooner or later, uh, the United States will turn its back on the House of Saud. They will. and After I they use them and abuse them, they'll, they'll throw them in the so drain. We're, we're letting our Saudi uh, uh, colleagues know that hitching your wagon with Israel in the United States, read your history books and look at how many Arab leaders and Arab countries who have tried to do a deal with the United States and Israel. 
look at what has happened to your country. So all you have to do is look at history and uh, you might learn something. But I do think, Jamal, you know, history lesson aside, that we're entering a really dark, destabilized period of time. We, we haven't even touched on what the Saudis are doing in Yemen right now, which is essentially facilitating the entire destruction of, a, of one of the oldest civilizations, you know, on the planet today and a country. I mean, we're, we're talking about Yemen right now, Jamal, which has a cholera outbreak in the 21st century that is essentially a man-made problem. Yemeni communities all throughout Yemen are starving to death. Children are starving. They have cholera, infectious disease. I mean, it is a travesty. And who is leading the charge against Yemen? It's Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Well, I was expecting to say, and who's leading the charge to bring peace to the Middle East? It's Jared Kushner, Kushner. as we know, is the long-standing friend of Netanyahu. Uh, he even led his buddies. parents' foundation to funnel money to the West Bank uh, yeah. settlements. That's right. That uh, just came out. He travels in circles in Israel uh, and Jerusalem as the eternal and undivided capital of the Jewish people. That's the statements that he, he has been saying for years. Um, but Jamal, you, know, you glossed over that one. You you glossed over that. That was another thing that happened. You should really let our listeners know that last week, uh, Jared Kushner, for the maybe two hundredth time, failed to disclose on his security clearance, as well as his economic disclosure statements, that he was the president of a foundation that was sending U.S tax-deferred dollars to illegal Israeli settler and colonial do you, and outposts. Do, and do you hear anything about this in the media now? No, you won't. But I know if you or I... With all the distraction and smoke and mirror that no. they have established around but I know if anybody, the Russian affair... I, I think if anybody else had done that, they would be in jail. With any other country but Israel. Right, exactly. And this is the same Jared Kushner who is having uh, back deals with uh, Russian uh, oligarchs trying to fund his failed, you know, uh, you know, failed business dealings in Manhattan. Well, uh, but now it seems that Kushner have uh, has uh, bonded with his fellow thirty-something royal. <laughs> That's right, uh, <laughs> Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah, they're buddies now because they're they the best same buddies, age. Yeah, you know, so so they're best buddies. And uh, they are on the same page regarding, for example, the Gaza scheme, which I didn't, we didn't talk about it. And the uh, Mohammed bin Salman Abbas meetings suggested uh, that they have their agreement uh, basically on the Jerusalem declaration. Uh, we're going to talk more about this. Uh, we're Probably coming to another close end here. close to our show, Jess. But, you know, there's a lot going on. I think what we're trying to say, Jamal, is that this kind of analysis, you're not going to hear this kind of analysis on mainstream media anywhere. You're not going to get this analysis in the Times, the Washington Post, anywhere else. Our listeners who are able to plug into Arab Talk really do get an analysis unlike anywhere else. So, we want to thank you for listening to us today, everybody. Send us your comments to ArabTalk 
at kpoo.com. Watch us on Twitter. Watch us on Facebook Live. And we'll see you next week. See you next week.